Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3, but before we really get into chapter 3, let's talk about where we are so far in the story. Chapter 3 in your Bible, we start Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. That's what we looked at week one. We got introduced to God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we looked at that is a truth that God created all that is, all that, I- that, that came to be, was created by God by the power of his voice. It's this incredible story that is showing us really the power of who God is. Because in the beginning, God, God was before the creation, God spoke, and all that we know came to be. But we also looked that in the beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. It was all that he created, but it also implies the order in which he created it. We were introduced to this cast of characters that is God's spirit, the spiritual realm or the unseen realm. And, and the story takes place in a place called the Garden of Eden that is the touch point between the spiritual and the physical. So in this garden, Adam and Eve are created and they have perfect relationship with God and they have, a, they have contact, physical contact with the spiritual. It's this very interesting place, the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden is life as God designed. In the Garden of Eden is life as God designed. We're told in Genesis 2 that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. There is this life that that mankind, that Adam and, and later Eve have with God that is this perfect relational system between humanity and God, the creation and the creator in this perfect love relationship that happens in the garden. We're told at the end of each day that God created and he looked at his creation and he said it was good. And at the end of all that he created, he looked at it all and he said that it was good. And then we're told on the seventh day, he rested. Now this idea of rest is, is interesting because it's not that God like laid down to sleep, but he rested from his creating and began to simply be with his creation. And so the seventh day, God began to be with his creation in this perfect relational system with Adam and Eve. He creates Eve out of the, 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 um, the rib cage of Adam. Very interesting story. He says, uh, everything is good. Then he looks at Adam. He says, it's not good for you to be alone. He makes the woman. And he gives them a job and a role. The role of humanity in the garden is to work and to tend to the garden, to have dominion or authority or power over the earth that God created. So here is kind of what life in the garden is supposed to look like. We're told a kind of silly little cheeky verse in Genesis 2 chapter 25 when it says Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Oh yeah. 
naked and felt no shame. This idea is, is graphic, to be completely frank with you. Uh, but what, it's not just a, a truth, however it is a, is a truth, but it's also these two things are to illustrate something about life in the garden. Life in the garden was intended for God to have a, love, a loving relationship with his creation that is built on the foundation of com- completely knowing and completely loving, completely knowing and completely loving. The idea of of naked, although they were naked, but it illustrates a truth that God's design was to completely know and to completely see his creation. Nothing covered, nothing hidden, physically, but also spiritually, that there was nothing to be in between God and his creation and to be fully loved in that process. Now, I think in relationships that we tend to have, the more we know about someone, the the more opportunity we have to not love that person, right? You meet someone, you you have a friendship with someone, and you're like, man, I love this person. This person's great. Then you hang out with them a second time, and you're like, whoa, you're kind of (laughs) weird, typically, the more we know about someone, the more opportunity we have to choose to not love the person. But in the garden, life as God intended it to be, there was fully known and fully loved. Perfection in the garden was relationship that was completely uncovered and there was no shame. It was representing being perfectly known and perfectly loved by God and the desire, which is the desire of the human soul as well as its greatest fear. Our desire, our deepest desire is that someone would fully know us and somehow fully love us. That they would know everything about us and still choose to love us. But our biggest fear is that we'd be fully known by someone and yet not fully loved. Or that we'd be fully loved by someone, but they don't truly know who we are. And in the garden, there was, there was this perfect relationship between God and his creation. And God makes a covenant with man. That they are to work and tend to the garden. They were to keep and maintain God's creation. But there was a, a caveat or a rule to this relationship. They were to have authority over all of God's creation or dominion over God's creation, but they must be under the authority of the creator. They were told to go to work and to maintain the garden and eat of the trees that are in the garden, except there's a rule. There's a rule that they must obey. In uh, Genesis 2 and verse 17, It says, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. So God speaks. He makes this covenant relationship with humanity, which a covenant is a word for like a contract or an agreement. And the agreement is, is you you will live in my presence, You'll be fully known by me. You'll be fully loved by me. And I have given you authority and purpose over my creation as long as you choose to submit to my authority. That's life 
in the garden. It's this relationship with God where there's purpose, there's love, and there's being known. But Genesis 3 happens. So that's where we're going to be. This, in, this, in the context of this perfect relational system, here is the story that we're going to look at, which is the verse we, we studied last week. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? So, in this perfect relationship between God and man that is centered around being fully known and fully loved, there is purpose, there is direction, there is authority, there is relationship, there's, there's everything that you could desire. In this, the context of this, we are introduced to that character we looked at last week, the serpent. Now remember, Satan is a, a cherubim, which is more beautiful than any other. He's an angel that was in the presence of God. And the cherubim's role in the spiritual hierarchy is to, min- to be ministers of God's purity and holiness. But Satan is filled with pride and attempts to exalt himself above God, which is an act of rebellion against the God that earns him to being cast out of the presence of God in the spiritual realm and left to roam the earth. And this serpent, who has has rebelled against God's authority, now approaches Eve with a temptation. Are you guys picturing the story? Is this kind of fun? Is your mind kind of picturing things? I'm sure we've read this story a billion times or heard it a billion times, and so we already have what each character looks like and, you know, how the bushes perfectly, you know, cover what needs to be covered as Adam and Eve roam through the garden because nobody wants to see that. And then, you know, the serpent kind of slithers up and holds his S's out really long, like on the Jungle Book. And, um, and so the certain serpent uh, approaches humanity, Adam and Eve, because Satan hated that God had given man dominion over the earth. That's what I believe. I believe that Satan hated that God had given some authority to to man and woman over the earth, and Satan knew that the covenantal relationship or the, the, the contract that God had designed with man was, was very strong, and he couldn't convince God to change it, so his approach was to try to convince humanity to break it. So the way that the serpent approaches Adam and Eve to tempt them into breaking this, this contract, this relationship with God, is an interesting one. We're told that he is craftier than any of the other wild animals, and he, he begins by saying, did God really say? Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The approach that Satan has to to get Adam and Eve to break this relationship is by distorting reality and distorting the very words of God. Remember, we read it in Genesis chapter 2. God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but one. 
Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say you're not allowed to eat any trees in the garden? No, that's not what God said. God actually said the exact opposite. You're allowed to eat from all of them, except one. And Eve kind of combats this temptation one time, and she says, no, God did not really say that. He says, you must not eat from one tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. Satan responds, he says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's, let's note those, two, those three words, actually, that are at that, knowing good and evil. The word of God was to rule over every living being, and Adam was, he was to name all of the animals, he was to tend to the plants, he was to eat of the fruit of the garden, and he was, has been given a wife that God had given him all of this authority and even ownership over God's creation. And the one stipulation was to not eat from one tree in the garden. That was it. You have all authority, all dominion over the creation, you just can't eat. This one, but Satan comes distorting the words of God and speaking lies. We looked at last week that Jesus says the native language of the devil is lies. I believe that his specialty is half truths. His native language is lies, but his specialty is half truths. He comes to them with something that's not necessarily wrong, it's just twisted. God did limit what they could eat, but he comes and he turns it to a negative and he says, You must not eat any fruit. Now, Eve is able to withstand the temptation, but then he comes back with, with something else. She says, I, I can't eat it because God says, If I eat the fruit, then I'm gonna die. If I eat the fruit, then I'm going to die. And Satan responds, you're not going to die. You are going to become like God, knowing both good and, and evil. Genesis 3 and, and verse 5, let's kind of continue through the story. You guys following? Is this fun? Just kind of story time. That's really the goal here. Just like, I'm sitting in a chair, I'm wearing my flannel shirt. So imagine there's like a, a fireplace or something. We're just kind of moseying on down. Have you ever seen The Princess Bride? You know, when the grandpa's like sitting there just reading the story. Just imagine it's that. For God knows that when you eat from it, this is Satan speaking, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And now when the woman saw that the fruit that the tree, excuse me, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So Satan's tactic is coming with the, 
the word of God distorted, a distorted view of reality, a lie that is a a half-truth to get them to not only sin, but also to turn against God. The, The sin, the significance of this sin is not just the act of eating the fruit, but there's so much more that happens in this moment when Eve listens to the voice of the serpent and obeys the voice of the serpent and eats of the fruit. Really, the sin was not just eating the fruit. The sin was valuing the word of the serpent over the word of God. The, 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 the sin was valuing the word of the serpent over the word of God. God had also said at this point that all of his creation was good. And really this, this idea is, is that God looked and it was complete. It was finished. It was good. And it had value and it had purpose and it was designed or it was created the way that God intended for it to be designed. And in God's good earth, the way that he designed it was for man to have authority and man to be under the authority of God. But when they listened to the voice of the serpent, the humans, Adam and Eve, they decide that what God said is good is not good enough. And what they do is they they redefine what good is. They they listen to the voice of the serpent rather than the voice of their creator. They prioritize and value his words above the words of God that created all things into being. And they listen to the slithering snake and they choose to redefine what God said was good. They devalue God's word. They suppress God lower and they exalt themselves higher. It's important to understand that the the significance of this sin is not Adam and Eve eating some magical fruit. Really. It's important to know that. It's not like, what's the one, the princess that eats the fruit? Snow White. It's not like that. I don't believe that this fruit has, has any magical powers, that when they broke this skin of the fruit, it was like some curse unleashes, but what it was, was they turned their hearts against the God that was supposed to have them completely. They devalued the word of God. They suppressed God's authority underneath themselves and exalted themselves above God, above his words, and they, they sided with the one who had already picked a fight with God. The act of sin done by Adam and Eve is not that of a mistake or slipping up or falling short, but it is an act of rebellion against the God who created them. It's an act of rebellion. It's it's saying, God, you are less and I am higher. They're suppressing God's authority. Now, they do it unsuccessfully because we have no authority to actually suppress God's authority. Adam and Eve, by by esteeming themselves above God and disobeying the word of God, they don't actually make God any less powerful, but in their heart, they turn on God, they turn on who God is. Now, 
It's interesting when we're talking about this temptation in this way, uh, because it's before sin has entered the story. Now, we, we know about sin, and we know that we are all sinners, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We know what the Psalms say, that we were created in sin. We know that we have a nature that is bent towards sin. Uh, right now, Sid is proving to us that he has the cutest little sin nature ever. He, he is learning how to, how to bend the truth. He's learning how to really be disobedient. We don't need to teach him. It's built into him. We know that. But at this point, there's this perfect relational system of God and man, fully known, fully loved, and that that desire for sin has not yet been cultivated in humanity, but it has been planted by the serpent. The serpent comes and plants a desire. After the serpent speaks to Eve, we are told that she now sees that it is desirable for wisdom. There is a new desire that has been implanted in her. We look back on the story and we understand the voice of the devil because we've all heard the whisper. We all have sinned and we all have tasted, but Adam and Eve, they are different. They have yet to taste sin. They have yet to have the hunger for sin. The serpent is not uh, having a temptation that's playing off of an inner desire that is already existing in Eve, but placing the desire in her. and And the desire of him is for her to join in the rebellion against God. So, we're all feeling good. So far, I'm gonna keep moving then. The story so far, here's what's happened. The serpent presented evil half-truths distorting the word of God. God said you can eat from all but one, but the serpent said, God, did God tell you you can't eat of any of these? Eve withstands the first attack by holding on to the word of God, saying, no, he told us that we can eat all of the trees except for the one in the middle. We must not eat it or we will die. The serpent responds, you won't die. If you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God and you'll know both good and evil. Eve eats the fruit and convinces Adam to do the same. And this opens their eyes and they now see that they are naked. They, over, they are overwhelmed and filled with shame. They alienate themselves from God. They cover themselves up with fig leaves. And then we're told that the footsteps of God are heard in the garden. Adam and Eve, they, they run and they hide. And God says these, some very incredible words. He says, where are you? I don't imagine he says it like Tom DeLonge in the Blink-182 song, I Miss You. But you can imagine that way if you want. Where are you? And some people have, uh, I've, I've heard it said that some scholars uh, look at this phrase in the original language, where are you? And they, they think that it should be translated to, to much more because of the emotion that is in these words. That it's not that he doesn't know where they are, but he is heartbroken that they're not uh, in his sight. That, they, that they're hiding themselves from his presence. They've covered themselves up and they are ashamed to be in his presence. Remember, the design was to be fully known and fully loved by God and here they are covering themselves up with the 
the leaves of the plants that God had given them authority over and they chose to rebel against God and now they're choosing to cover up their sin with uh, what they are supposed to have authority over, kind of showing this pridefulness in their heart and this shame. And God approaches them and speaks. I'm going to read quite a bit of text here. So if you would look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13. God approaches them and says, the, and it says, The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. The so God's speaking to the serpent here. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust of the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife, and you've ate the fruit from the tree, uh, which I commanded you, you must not eat from cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it. And from, all, from it, all the days of your life will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to also take from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and flaming sword and flash, uh, flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. So what happens is God finds them after they have eaten of this fruit. Remember, they disobeyed God, not just the act but it was, a, it was an inward thing where they suppressed the authority of God in their own hearts and in their minds. They exalted themselves above God. They, val they devalued his word and valued the serpent's word. And they joined in with a rebellion against the very God who created them. And in response to that, they are now banished from the Garden of Eden, which is this, this touch point, this perfect relational system between God and man. And from that, we're not told the, the word sin yet. That comes in the next chapter. But sin has now entered into the story. Now there is death, there is destruction, there is pain, and all because this is the key because of the separation between God and man. The separation between God and man. Death, destruction, sin, pain, all of that is a byproduct to the separation 
between God and man. The Garden of Eden is the touch point between the physical and the spiritual, and they are cast out from the garden. They are no, no longer able to access that perfect relationship between God and man, where they were intended to bring Eden all over the planet Earth. They are not even allowed back. So what they bring all over the earth, rather than bringing this garden-like state of the earth and this, this uh, bringing the way that God designed the earth, they now bring sin all over the earth. Remember, God said that his creation was good. His creation was good. And they lived in God's goodness. Are you guys still following me? Okay, because I, I can just stop. Honestly, I can just stop if, if it's like too much, if it's too confusing. If I'm, I, I just say the words and I'll just be done. Um, all right, we're good. God's creation is good. God's creation is good. And we're told if they eat the tree, they will know both good and evil. It is almost as if God revealed to humanity his goodness through creation, and he was keeping evil hidden from them. He was serving Adam and Eve as a protector from evil, and when they rebelled against the authority of God, they opened themselves up to the forces of evil that now indwell them. Okay, I know that was like a long sentence. It's probably a run-on sentence. He says, you will know both good and evil. God had already revealed to him his goodness, but was withholding evil from them. When they chose to rebel against the authority of God, they were now allowing the knowledge of evil into their lives. And because humanity is weaker than God, it is harder to choose good when evil is present. That's kind of the picture that, that I am painting from the text, okay? The text doesn't clearly say that, but it, to me, it seems a visual that is helpful, that God is protecting them from evil, but when they rebelled against God, they rebelled against that protection. Now, sin has now entered the story, and it's not a sin that is just actions, but it is a sin in the heart that is suppressing God's authority and placing themselves above God. In Romans 1, we see the effect that sin has on humanity. Again, I'm going to read quite a bit of text, but follow me. For although, this is the Apostle Paul writing about humanity under the oppression of sin. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, to look like a mortal human being, and the birds and the animals and the reptiles, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, to, and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served and cr the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's a pretty good synopsis of this story. God gave them over to their sinful desires 
as they exchanged the truth of God's word for lies and they began to worship the created things rather than the creator. So when they chose the fruit of the tree, God allowed them to live with their choice. They chose evil and so God allowed them to live with it. They're cast out of the garden, and now sin has entered the story, and it will be a primary character throughout the pages of the rest of the Bible and even into our own lives. We don't need to look very far to see that sin has entered the story. Honestly, if you don't even turn the page in your Bible, you just go from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4, we are introduced to Adam and Eve's son, Cain, who murders his brother because of jealousy. Then, in, in, on the very same page, we're introduced to a character by the name of Lamech, who is a descendant of Adam and Eve, who, who now distorts God's design of marriage. He takes two wives, and he begins to kill in revenge. We see hate, and distortion, and oppression, and murder, and most of all, death, to now have power or dominion over, all, over the human race. It's this kind of interesting thing. We were supposed to have authority over the creation, and now here we are suppressed and oppressed under the authority of sin. We look through the Bible, we see sin all over the place. We look through history, we see sin all over the place. We can look around and see the oppression of sin as, as 12 and a half million African slaves were transported in the African slave trade between 1512 and 1866. We see the oppression of sin. We see in World War II when 6 million Jews were carried away and killed in the Holocaust and 15 million soldiers dying in that war, 400,000 of them being U.S. soldiers. There has been th 386 uh, school shootings in the past 25 years, 46 of them being last year. 27.6 million people in 2021 involved in human trafficking and over 20,000 people were murdered in the year 2020 alone. We don't need to look very far to see the oppression that sin has in our life and in the world. But even still, that's too far of a look in our homes, as, as our parents are fighting, or the trauma that we faced from when we were younger, the brokenness in our relationship with family and friends, or the thoughts that we have in our head about other people that we hope no one ever finds out about, or the comments we leave on social media, or the desire to exalt ourselves above everyone else and reject the word of God and his ways. We see sin has run rampant and it oppresses the human race. We have come a long way from the Garden of Eden. We're told in, this, in the story uh, that, that humanity is cast east of Eden. We live east of Eden, far away from God's presence, far away from being fully known and fully loved. We, see, we, we look out at the earth and it's hard to believe that it was ever called good, don't we? We, we see that sin is oppressing us. And because of this, it really causes me to ask the question, and I don't know if you've asked it yet, why was the tree there? Why was that tree there? 
Why did God design the tree? Why did God create the tree? Why, why did God just not create the silly old tree? He could have he designed the garden without the tree, right? He was creating it. Why, if God knew that he was going to create this tree and create humanity, and humanity was going to be tempted and eat of the tree, and thus allowing sin to enter into the story and to oppress his people and cause so much pain and difficulty and death, like, what? like why? Is that a valid question? You're like, oh. God must not be good if he created the tree. The design of the garden, the heart of God, is to have a love relationship with his creation. A love relationship with his creation. We're told later on, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding way too much, but after Jesus, we're told in the book of Ephesians that God had sent his son to display the great love from which he, he loved us. He gave his son to die for us because he loved us. The, the desire of God is to have a love relationship with his creation, not to keep his children on leashes. Do I have any leash kids in the building? Just ask, asking for a friend. Anyone's parents put you on leashes? I see, a, I see a hand over there. I see a couple hands, yeah. Some of you guys probably should still be on leashes, but God did not design a cage to trap his creation but he designed people to bear his image who have been given authority and had been given will, free will. And the desire of God was that they would choose his love and choose him. I believe that in order for there to be love, there had to have been a choice. Without the tree, it actually wouldn't be love at all. Without, without the tree, it's a room with no doors and windows. The love of God was displayed towards Adam and Eve by the creation of the tree because his desire was that they would choose his goodness over the opportunity of their own definition of goodness. And, and they failed. And God's heart breaks. He says, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? What is it that you have done? It breaks the heart of God. The reason, because they were in this perfect relational system with God where they were fully known, and they were fully loved, and there was a tree that was placed in the garden, and when they chose that tree, death would enter the story. Sin would enter the, the, the story. Destruction, and above all, separation between the Creator and His creation would now enter the story. It was this perfect relational system with an imperfect tree. And they chose. They chose themselves and their desires over the goodness of God. They chose. And the byproduct of that was now separation. You get what you chose. Now we live on the east side of Eden far away from the garden. 
and we look out at the world and we don't live in a perfect relational system with God, but an imperfect relational system. As I was rallying off those things and as I was doing a little bit of research, my heart was aching considering all of the death, all of the oppression, all of the sin that goes on in the world at large and in history, but also in our own life. As we feel the weight of sin's power over us, the the mistakes that we've made and the shame that we feel, it's terrible. Sin is not a good leader. It oppresses, it destroys, and it kills. It's not life at all under the oppression of sin. We live in an an imperfect relational system. It's the opposite of what Adam and Eve lived in. But yet, there's still a tree that sits in our garden. We live in this imperfect system, but there's a tree that's in our garden. Unlike Adam and Eve's tree that brought, brought sin, death, destruction, and separation, we live in a system where we have the choice to choose a tree that brings life, that brings unity between God, restoration between God and man. It it restores the brokenness that we have allowed to enter into God's good story. And, And that tree is the cross of Jesus. In this story, after God tells them that they will be banished, it's an interesting thing. God actually kills an animal, takes the skin of the animal, and covers up Adam and Eve's nakedness. He takes off their fig leaf bikinis and puts on these nice leather coats. And what this illustrates is that we don't have to be responsible in, in covering up our shame or restoring our relationship with God, God is responsible for that. He, he tells them afterwards that the, the serpent will, 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 his head will be crushed. And what God says, as soon as sin enters the story, God has a plan for redemption. And we are on the other side of that redemption plan. And it was a tree that Jesus, our Messiah, hung on to take away the sting of the oppression that sin causes on God's good creation. And although we live in this imperfect system, there is still the choice, because God loves us and gives us choice, there is the choice of a tree. The cross of Jesus that we can choose that covers our sin that covers our shame, that brings us back into this relationship with God, that that death has no sting over us anymore, the pain of sin no longer has to rule us because we have been washed and covered by the work of Jesus on that tree. Can I get an amen? I mean, come on. And as we look at this story, it's tragic. It breaks my heart. And we have no idea how long after God looked at his creation and saw it was good that this story takes place. To me, it doesn't seem very long. I think we often get irritated at Adam and Eve. It would have been me. 
If it would have gotten to me, it probably would have been me. Probably would have been you. If it wasn't Eve, it would have probably been Adam. You know what I mean? Because, because we need a Savior. We need the covering of God. And so, my, my question for you tonight, as we look at the sin that has oppressed the world, we've, we've look at, we look at the sin that oppresses us, and, and we all have the same tendency of Adam and Eve to, to devalue the authority of God, to place ourselves in authority over him, and to suffer the consequences. My, my question for you is, are you going to choose the tree that brings life? Are you going to choose the tree that forgives your sin, covers your iniquity, covers your, your nakedness and your shame, and allows you to enter boldly into the presence of God? Because in the presence of God, there is life. Jesus would call it life to the full, abundant life. Life that is eternal, your eternity is set, but it's a life that starts now. A life that is overflowing with purpose and meaning and value. It's, when we choose Jesus, we choose life as it's intended to be. To be fully known by God and still fully loved. He knows all your sins and he chooses to forgive all of them. He loves you to the deepest part of who you are. He knows you as 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 much as anyone could possibly know you, yet he still loves you. So my question is, do you, do you know Jesus? Have you chosen that tree that brings life?